spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Mino Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kevin Waits again, and I'd like to welcome you to a new episode of Safe Conversations, where we unpack our bags and we talk about things that impact us all. Things like race, culture, gender, any and everything you could think about with the hopes that we can somehow find a way to move forward together. Now, I always caution you, just because it's called safe conversations don't mean we have soft conversations. We unpack our bags and we really get down to the nitty gritty of things. So this week, I am honored, I'm excited uh, to have on an extraordinary woman. Uh, I met her about a year and a half ago in you know, every time I see her, it, it, I think excellence, excellence, excellence. And so I am honored. I am so honored. I am humbled uh, to have Miss Patrice Reynolds on Safe Conversations. So welcome, Patrice. Thank you. Thank you so much, so much. I really, really appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you seeing the value of our conversations that we always have when we run into each other. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we're going to jump right in. Um, You know, I know your background, but for the purpose of our listening audience, if you could just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself, background, education, family, whatever it is you think we need to know about Patrice Reynolds. Well, that's a that's about a book, but I'm going to put it to a couple sentences. All right. Um, I am from Maryland. I uh, come from a huge, gigantic family. Um, my grandparents had 12 children, eight girls, four boys. And out of that 12 was my mom. She's the fifth girl. Um, and from, uh, I think, my grandmother's grandkids, it was in the 30s. that, And I'm one of those. And from the 30s, she had like 28 great-grands before she even passed. So my family is gigantic, huge, boisterous, loud. But what I've experienced from my childhood was pure love and complete togetherness every Sunday at grandmother's house. Um, My grandfather was a pastor for a while. My grandfather pushed get a job, make sure you get a job or some kind of a career that where you can always find work. His <laughs> old thinking mentality did not push college. Um, I ended up going to college for theology <laughs> and I was, I thought I belonged in an art performance school, but they didn't have that in Maryland. So I ended up going to theology uh, school, seminary school. Um, as far as who I am, I would like everybody just to know that I'm Patrice. I I don't, although I have titles, I don't like to use them. I don't like to promote them. I just want you to see me as Patrice. Um, I have uh, two books that I've authored. 
Um, I'm a playwright and I'm a songwriter for a very large um, record company. Um, other than that, I'm a creative and that's who I am. That's awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing. Um, so tell us about theology. Why, how did that happen? Because it didn't sound like initially that was the plan. Yeah, I had no desire. I grew up in church from three years old. So I've done everything from direct a huge, our mass choir at the age of 15, praise and worship, to becoming a youth pastor, um, to becoming Patrice again, um, doing working in the field instead of in the walls of the church. And that's currently where I am now. Uh, so going to theology school, it was something I did not desire to do. Um, I was, I found myself there um, because I was, I thought that I had to, in order to pastor kids, you should, mm. you should probably know the Bible. <laughs> mm. So I went to school, um, National Bible College in Maryland, Fort Washington, Maryland. And uh, my major was counseling, Christian counseling. Um, so that's what I did. And literally I have done nothing except my everyday conversation relating to Christian counseling. I have mm -hmm. not done anything as far as a practice, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I have used it in life. Um, yeah. basically that's how the decision came for me going to Bible college. It wasn't supposed to happen, but it was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. And it sounds like, no, you, you, you didn't go out and pursue an, an official career or title, but it does sound like you do have a ministry. Absolutely. I'm just saying, I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. So let's dive right in. Now you are currently the owner and CEO of the Dream House Theater. So can you tell us how you, you got into the theater business and why it's so important to you? Yeah, um, it's so crazy. When I was a little girl, all I did was watch sitcoms. I had a fascination with sitcoms, comedy sitcoms. And I would be so yelled at and mad at in the house because I wanted to watch this show. I wanted to watch, but it was a ton of people in the house. My grandma, I was... At that time, I was still with my grandmother. I had a favor with my grandfather that was unbelievable. Me and my grandfather were best friends. Um, my father was not in my life early on. So I don't know that's why granddaddy took the role, but he did it. And I never felt like I was missing any kind of a father figure. Hmm. Um, so granddaddy would let me turn the channel and watch those shows. You know, man, I'm embarrassed. It would be shows like Laverne and Shirley, What's Happening, of course, Good Times, and Carol Burnett. I never knew why I had the fascination of that until I grew up. Oh, my gosh, I like it because it's a play on television, basically. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. So as I grew up, I began to write. I started writing. And the church started asking me to write plays at, at a, in my teenage years. And I also began to write songs. I put on my first play in Washington, D.C. at the Duke Ellington Theater, and it was a hit. 
was called Love Forgotten. And what I did was I took from the book that I wrote. I wrote uh, Let Tomorrow Come, Breaking the Cycle of Bad Relationships. I took that book and made it into a urban romance play just to show women the options that they have um, in having relationships, but at the same time, keeping their value and keeping their standards. So that's what the play was about. Um, I went on to move here to Myrtle Beach. I got married. I married an airman who proposed, so I had to come. I was literally, you guys, I was on my way to L.A. I I had uh, put in resumes at Paramount uh, Pictures. That's how close to L.A. I was when this guy just came in from nowhere. Um, I fell in love and he asked me to marry him and he was on his way to Myrtle Beach because he was retiring from the Air Force to just play golf in Myrtle Beach and enjoy the rest of his life. (laughs) So that's what I did and that's how I got here. Um, Dream House came because it was a dream and my husband always told me, I'm going to buy you a theater and you know, mm-hmm. so that you can do the things you want to do. And he died before he could do those things. But in his death, I was able to open a theater. It was amazing. So I opened my first theater in my restaurant, P. Reynolds Jazz, in the back. It was a separate room that sat right. like 50 people. And that's where I started Dream House, right there in the back. Wow. That's incredible. I got to go back and ask you because. Just like you, um, gosh, I love those TV shows back in the day. And I have a favorite TV show, an actual, a favorite scene from a TV show. And I'm going to share it with you in a minute. Okay. But what was your favorite show back in the day? You mentioned some 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 big time, heavy hitting type shows. But what was your very favorite? What's happening? What's happening was my favorite I still watch it to this day. It it was only three seasons Mm -hmm. and I still watch it to this day. Wow. What, what, what do you think that appealed to you so much? Because I saw myself on the screen. Mm. They were black people. There was a little girl named D that reminded me so much of me without the attitude, of course, but I think I saw me. And that was because I had been watching Marie Osmond and Carol Burnett. Never saw myself there, but I love the skits. But then here comes, you know, what's happening. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I could write this. I could be a part of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, my favorite show back in the day, and and I like what's happening too with Shirley and and Raj (laughs) and, and, and Dwayne, right? And Rerun. Right, yeah. But good, good times, man. That was that uh, was my yeah. show. Good Absolutely. times was my That's show. The second one. Yeah, and 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 just like you, it was. I think the the writers and directors were were brilliant in the way they put it together. Because I'm telling you, it mirrored my family. Honestly, you know, I was born, I don't know if I ever told you this, I was born in Harlem, New York. We lived on the 14th floor in the projects. We used to call our apartment, our unit, the the penthouse, right? Because we were on that top floor, but my dad was a hard working man. My mom was a Christian 
woman and I was Michael. Mm -hmm. My mouth always got wow. I always got me in trouble. My mouth. But but I that was like my show, you know. And my favorite scene on it was pretty funny. I don't know if you remember when Fishbone, when they thought Fishbone was dead. You remember that episode? Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. That was so hilarious to me. And and I could just remember him saying, Tell me you love me now. You know, saying him showing up to his own funeral and everybody, oh, fishbone's gone, you know. And him saying, No, he was dressed up in that black dress with the veil. And yep. he said, Tell yep. me you love me now. But that was my show. But those uh those shows were incredible. And um just the creativity of the directors and the writers back then. So that's all. Uh, that's just an awesome story. Um, not just a story, but your truth in terms of how you you came to be the owner of your own theater. It started. It sounds like with your passion, and I love to hear when when people don't just do things just to do it. You know what I'm saying? You 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 wrote plays. You wrote scripts that impacted women. That you wanted to show them a different side of something. And I just think um, I think that's incredible. I think that's incredible. So have you faced any challenges or struggles as a black female entrepreneur that you can directly connect to how you look, your skin color or, or your gender? Absolutely. Absolutely. I really did not start experiencing it until I moved to the South. Um, so you have to understand I was in DC doing these plays and uh it's a lot of us there um but i didn't know i was i was going to have that much of a problem until i moved to the south and it wasn't so much um racism uh blatant in your face racism it was more so you 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 you're not in this club um oh no we 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 only support who we know and who we who they knew was just like them. What I did was I got into theater immediately when I first came, and it was all white, um, good people, but they were all white. Um, I learned to do the rest of what I didn't know about theater in their theater. I didn't tell them who I was. I didn't tell them what I knew who I knew. I just said, Hey, I'm here to serve. I just want to do mm -hmm. anything and everything in theater. Um, and I want to learn what's going on back in the back scenes because in DC, I mm -hmm. was with a whole bunch of Howard students who would do all that for me. All the, all I did was wrote and directed. Right. They did the rest. Right. They're the ones that said, Oh, we're supposed to do blocking. Oh, we're supposed to so I kind of grew up in theater under a whole bunch of Howard University students. By the time I got mm -hmm. here, I didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes until some I met some good people, Tom and Mindy Penn. They had Atlantic Stage and they let me come in and volunteer. They trained me. I felt like I got a crash course in theater in, in about the three years that I was with them. Um, they taught me everything I know back, backstage. Um, but the problems wow. that I had with my skin wow. color and being a woman was the fact that I wasn't let in to the spaces mm -hmm. that I thought I was supposed to be in or I should have been in. But 
it was difficult to understand that I the, the culture shock that I got when I moved here. Um, again, it wasn't so much blatant racism, but it was look being looked over. Oh, that's the perfect word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being looked mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. probably not even on purpose, but probably because that's just they they're just used to what they're used to. Um, this is when I got out into other theaters, you know, so my struggle is the fact that I didn't get support and still I'm growing slowly that slower than if I was, uh, a white counterpart, but I'm, but I'm Mm -hmm. growing. Um, but the fact that I'm not supported is what I struggle with the most not only with them, but with my own people. Um, I did a survey because I was wondering why the locals weren't coming out to diverse theater. My theater is not black, Mm -hmm. it's diverse. And when I did this survey, asking the locals, they had no idea. They said, to tell you the truth, Patrice, we we didn't know what you were talking about when you were talking about theatrical theater and bringing black people into that space. Um, to act with white people and have a nice, diverse theater. We really didn't see that growing up. All we saw was theaters like Alabama Theater. Back then, they had the Dolly Mm -hmm. Parton Theater. They said, we didn't know anything about theatrical community theater at all. So when you came to our town yelling this theater stuff, we didn't know what you were really talking about. So that was a struggle in itself that I had to figure Mm -hmm. out how to woo my people into the theater and have us all work together. You know, we're better together is my slogan. Um, So basically that is, that would have to be my biggest struggle, the not getting the support. I'm not mad about Mm -hmm. it because I know, that when it's my time, people will find me. I am not to go look Absolutely. for followers. I have I have to continue to create. My job is not to convince you to come to my theater, but I have to trust that with the good story that I have to tell and the other Black writers and white writers that are coming together, the story that they are trying to tell, you will want to come and find so that's mm-hmm. basically been my biggest struggle. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I can, you know, of course, my career path has been different in law enforcement and in the military. But I can, you know, being being looked over, right, or, or going unnoticed. But, I, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, I always go back to uh, Matthew 2016, right? talks about the first being last and the last being first and and how many are called but few are chosen right and so you know my question to you is are you called to what you're doing or are you chosen and how do you know okay so i believe that everyone is called am i chosen i'm chosen i'm chosen i believe that i'm chosen for a work I just happen to have the gift of writing given to me by God. I just Mm -hmm. happen to have the vision for a story being told that would provoke the thought of the people. 
and cause them to think differently or know that they have multiple options to one problem. I think that theater is my costume, if you would. I think that my real gift comes from the counseling from seminary school, and it comes from the fact that I love to write. I think what God did was he set me up. (laughs) I think he set me up to talk to his people or to talk to hurt people, left out people, people that are looked over Mm -hmm. in a way that will give an illustration to what they could do about it. My illustration is theater Mm -hmm. to show you how this can be done. You know, that's my way of talking to you. Um, So I do believe that I have been chosen for that specific thing Mm -hmm. thus far. What is what's lying in my future? I don't know. I have an idea, but I don't know uh, where this road is taking me to, you know? But the bottom line is that that is being used. It's a catalyst. It's a vehicle Mm -hmm. that's being used to house what I have to say to wounded women, to young widows, Mm -hmm. to women that are like myself, to women that want Mm -hmm. diversity and not just to sit in my tribe. Yeah. That's pretty dope, you know, um, I, and I do believe um, just based on, uh, you know, personal experiences that I think sometimes we, we, of course, we want this. We want that. You know, we have our own plans. And I think sometimes as humans, we get impatient. Right. But I really believe, Patrice, that sometimes God hides us. Right. I think he sometimes hides us sometime in plain sight where we where we feel like we're being overlooked. Right. But I think he hides us for a time um, such as this. You know what I'm saying? I, and I think that when he's ready. Right. That he's going to promote us from backstage. To front stage, you know, what I'm saying and and and, and it's going to be a time and a place in a situation to where he gets all the glory. But I really believe that he hides us. And that's what I hear, um, you know, when you talk about your story, you know, God hiding you for a time. I'm just saying, you know, when you sitting on Oprah or hanging out with, with, with Tay Diggs, I ain't forgot about that. Um, don't forget me. You know what I'm saying? If you need somebody to drive you around, carry your bags, you know what I'm saying? Don't forget me. But I, I believe that God has hit you for a little while. And, and, and eventually Patrice, come on out here. It's time. It's time for these folks to see what's up. So um, I'm excited for you and in, in your future. Everybody in your crew identifies as either big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So let's talk, let's switch gears a little bit. 
With so many issues plaguing our communities across the globe, what is it about the arts in theater that you think brings people together? Truth and healing are the two words that are flying out of me when I think about theater. Theater actually is a healing tool. It, it's an escape. It's a world that will take you out of where you are and, and you're able to consider yourself being somewhere else or making other decisions. Theater actually, in a healing mm-hmm. sense, is used in the urban cities like Chicago and New York. They have multiple programs mm-hmm. of arts because they know that the art heal. They heal your mind from being poverty stricken, um, mental health. Um, it does a lot of soul searching in theater because when you take on a character, you have to take on a whole other situation and a whole other person. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you get to step outside and see yourself. You get to compare yourself mm-hmm. to this character. Hey, that that's true about me. Hey, I do this. Oh, that's why I do this. Yeah. Theater has so yeah. many healing sources that people don't recognize or haven't even thought of. Um, I didn't in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that me sitting there as a little girl watching Carol Burnett and Good Times, I didn't know that I was yearning for my father. I didn't know that I was lonely um, and in a house full of people because I was so different. I was so different. Um, so in that in that portion of my life, I honestly and truthfully believed that not only was I distracted by art, but I was also being healed through art. So when mm-hmm. I think about theater and art, I think about healing. You know, you can take people from an underserved area and somebody from mm-hmm. middle class and somebody from upper class and have them work together and they will never forget each other for the rest of their life. They will become best friends wow. because that's what theater also is. It's a camaraderie of like a mili- like in the military, kind of. We never forget each other. We mm-hmm. never forget mm-hmm. that show that we were in with you. We never forget that experience yeah. and we all become family. And that is why diverse theater was so important to me. It was so important that I Mm -hmm. get people of all walks, all walks of life to come together and create a piece of art. Wow. You know, until you said it just now, and I never thought of some of the shows and entertainment and plays and, and all I've seen over the years uh, as a tool for healing. But if I just go back, based on what you said, if I, you know, I was, I started thinking, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Going back to good times. I told you, you know, 14th floor Harlem, watching good times, even just for 30 minutes, made me forget about that. Really. I mean, it really, you know, I, I remember me and my older brother, would look out of the window, right? We could see the blue letters from Yankee Stadium from our apartment. And 
it was funny because we knew we would never be able, you know, we were poor. We knew we would never go to a baseball game in Yankee Stadium. And so my older brother, do you remember who Howard Cosell was? Uh-huh. He was a he was a famous, you know, uh, announcer, a commentator. And he had that voice, uh, you know, tonight we're watching Muhammad. Ali. You know, he had that voice. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my older brother would imitate Howard Cosell. Right. And, and it was not even thinking about it until you just said it. It was a form of theater. Right. It, but, you know, I was I was the only person there watching him, but he would imitate. Howard Cosell and act like he was commentating a baseball game at Yankee Stadium. The only thing that was crazy was, you know, he would, instead of people like the Red Sox and the Yankees playing, he would say the rats are playing the roaches, right? Because that's what we could relate to, right? But we thought it was the funniest thing, right? And, and again, during that time, didn't matter how bad things were, we laughed and we forgot about it. So that's uh, that's crazy. It, it, and it's amazing to me, too, how, you know, a diverse group of people can can pay their for their ticket and go see a movie or go see a play, sit right next to somebody who they probably wouldn't even normally talk to or sit next to somebody who they may dislike because of their gender or their race sit there and laugh, enjoy the play, right? Yeah. Then walk right back out outside and go back to their respective corners. So it's crazy. And I appreciate you bringing up the point on uh, healing because I never looked at it that way, but it is truly healing. I never looked at it that way. Mm -hmm. That's pretty dope. So if you had the opportunity to direct the play for a room full of the world's uh, most impactful leaders, most powerful leaders, with the hopes of promoting world peace, what production would it be? Wow. Wow. That production would be a play that has not been written yet, but it is. The, but mm. the name of the play would be, I would have to say the name of that play would be The Kingdom. Hmm. that's the name of the play. That's the name it would be. And you you know, this is why. Because if you look at what the kingdom that Christ was talking about the whole time Hmm. he was here, he kept talking about this invisible kingdom. If If you know what a kingdom is, of course, us Americans, we didn't grow up in a kingdomship. You know, we grew up, um, a kingdom is not a democracy, in other words. Kingdom doesn't mm-hmm. have a president. Presidents are short term. They come yeah. and then they go. But a king is until he dies. So if we understood what a kingdom was, the commonwealth, meaning all the common people have, they don't ha- they're not left without. Why? Because mm-hmm. in a kingdom, the king takes care of the citizens in a kingdom nobody is poor nobody is hungry that was that was the original idea of a kingdom 
so if mm-hmm. you look at the original design and reasoning for a kingdom, nobody's left behind. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that bring peace? Wow. Wouldn't that bring us to mm. a place where wow. if I have no lack, why am I going to steal from you if I have, you know what I mean? If I, that's what a kingdom right. is and that's what it does. You can always rely on a king because he's fair. He hears you out. He's, you know, he makes sure everybody has what they, mm. what they need. And to me, if I had the audience of the world, I would do a production to show them how a kingdom is run. All of us are royal. We're of royalty descent, you know? And if we show each other and give each other that respect that you are King Waits and I am Queen Reynolds and your value is just as good as mine, nobody is better than the other, but we're different, which is absolutely fine because we need each other. We need the differences that we don't have in order for us to build a body of love. So I honestly, Kevin, I would definitely put on a production about a kingdom, a king and a kingdom. And hopefully that would pull on the heartstrings of people. Patrice, that's, oh man, that's dope. Um, just to know that you would you would name that uh, production the kingdom. That's that's pretty dope and, and, and strong. Who would you get to play the character, the main character? And who would be the main character in uh, in that production? I'd love to hear. Oh, my gosh. That's such a good question. The first person that pops out is Denzel Washington um, and James Earl Jones. What's your favorite James Earl Jones line? I'm, I couldn't tell you. I don't I don't know. For me, uh-huh. I thought I knew James Earl Jones until I was in Germany Mid-1990s, The Lion King came out, and I was watching The Lion King with my daughter. And when I heard James Earl Jones say, Simba, you deliberately disobeyed me, I was like, whoa. Wow. Whoa. I mean, he said, I mean, it was so strong. Simba, you deliberately disobeyed. I mean, it was, I don't have that James Earl Jones voice, but, oh, my gosh. I could hear him. In the production you're talking. Oh man, that that would be powerful. That would be powerful. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. That would be powerful. Didn't he play a king also on Coming to America? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was Eddie Murphy's dad. Yeah. Yeah. I could see him in your production, The Kingdom. So are you going to write that play? Are you going to create that production? Absolutely. I am actually in the phase of my life where I'm wanting to teach kingdom, mm. but I, the platform has not presented itself um, mm. to me yet. So I'm just being patient and still mm-hmm. studying and researching the old historical uh, laws of Israel and how the Roman empire changed a lot of what Mm. was originally in place. Now that's been fascinating me the most. The fact that once we were, uh, you know, once, once it was in Roman in the Roman empire, Mm -hmm. a lot regarding scripture changed and was taken out and words were changed. Um, A lot of times. And that's for that very reason. I don't read King James. (laughs) Mm. 
Okay. Uh, I always like to, my grandmother bought me a Hebrew parallel Bible when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And that began to taught me to look up Greek Hebrew words to find out what true meanings are in scripture when I don't understand. For instance, I go away to prepare mansions for you. Mm. Do you not know that mansions in the Greek Hebrew language does not mean house, a a dwelling place? It doesn't mean that at all. It means dimensions. I go away to prepare dimensions for you. So no, now it changes my perception. And I'm sorry if this messes you up, but it changes my perceptions on having a house in heaven. (laughs) Right. So now it means something bigger. Yeah. Wow. So let's stay right there right quick. Um, So what does it actually mean? I'm going to prepare dimensions for you. That means apart from us living on the earth in these Mm -hmm. earth suits, when we leave the earth, it's actually a promotion of of sorts. Mm. It's uh, the unlimited ability to travel into the heavenlies, not having any restriction, of course, under still under the law of the kingdom of heaven, mm-hmm. but we have no restrictions because we're out of this body. Out of this body, I look like the way I look now, Patrice, if I were mm-hmm. to come out of this body, I would, I would explode this house because my, the spirit is so big. Mm. It could not contain me. And I would be free to go. Mm-hmm. And of course, the first place we know from our um, ancestors and our elders passing on, one thing we do know is that you, the first thing you want to do is go home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where we yeah. once were. So wow. I think that's what dimensions mean. I think heaven yeah. is not just a, a place. You can't mm-hmm. put place on heaven. Right. It's right. too vast. Wow. If we if we look like grains of sand mm-hmm. up against the universe, you can imagine yeah. What, yeah. what heaven is. Yeah. Man, listen, were you teaching Sunday school last Sunday? I think I want to come. <laughs> oh <my laughs> that's God. what's up right there. That's that's pretty heavy. You know, and, and even when you talk about dimensions and everything you just said, it made me think I was talking to one of my good friends a couple of weeks ago when he was telling me about an experience about a gentleman who who actually died for like 10 minutes, right? And they were talking to him. And, and of course, he was telling his story and he he felt like he went to the other side and he was they were asking him, well, what did it look like? Well, what did... And he said the thing that he noticed more than anything was the air he was breathing. He said it was just something different about the air, like there was a a sweetness to the air, no toxins, no pollution, no. And so when you started talking about the dimension, it just made me think about that just now. But it was very, very interesting. So, Ms. Reynolds, can you tell us about any exciting projects that you're working on and you have coming up? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. The um, next thing on... Uh, the agenda for myself and Dreamhouse is the 2024 um, leadership ball that we have in on purpose in February, a leadership ball. 
And that ball is uh, from the foundation that I have created with ESA Fitness. So Dream House and ESA Fitness, of course, ESA Fitness is they train athletics to prepare them to go to college. And mm-hmm. Dream House is also we take in Horry County students and teach them how to run a theater. So those two entities have come together because, come on, let's be real. Sports get all the money. Mm -hmm. They get all the money. It's easy for them to get money uh, compared to the arts. And I've always had an issue with that. So I would tease ESA Fitness a lot, run by Terrence Butler, about Mm -hmm. how they get all the money. And y'all need to give us some of that money and blah, blah, blah. And we we had an idea that if we put together a foundation with those two entities, the funds that we would get into that one entity would decide where those funds would go and it would be an even flow. So that's Mm -hmm. how ESA ESA Dream Foundation became. So the Dream and ESA Foundation is Dream House and ESA Mm -hmm. is the fitness center. Um, So yeah, that basically uh, the ball that we have annually um, is at Marina Inn, um, at Grand Dunes. And, um, that's the purpose of that whole ball event. And we put on our long gowns and it's fantastic. And of course you were there at our first inaugural ball, did a wonderful job as a speaker. I'll tell you, it was off the chain. Um, uh, of course the headliner was, was Tate Diggs and, uh, and just your conversation with him, on the stage was awesome. I mean, just the questions. I mean, honestly, it reminds me of the same conversation we're having right now. I mean, it was just wow. relaxed and formal. You were laid back. He made himself vulnerable and let us, I mean, it was incredible. But even outside of that, leading up to it, everything, The uh, I remember the, the African dancers in incredible it was an incredible show so i'm definitely looking forward to uh to 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 showing up and participating and just being a part of that experience all over again it was awesome yeah and i appreciate you kevin so much for the support that you gave us and um rallying around us and making sure we got proper exposure uh in that event i i appreciated me and terrence terrence and i really appreciated you yeah yeah. So have you had a good time chopping it up with me this evening? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure I'd enjoy the conversation. Would you come back one day? Absolutely. I'm talking about, you know, after you win in Oscars and all that good stuff. Don't have me calling your 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 press secretary or whoever. Kevin who? I'm gonna come, I'm gonna bang on your door. You know, I'm talking about later on. You know what I'm saying? Would you come back? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also want, I think it's important for us to, Mm -hmm. to do more things like this. Like we don't, we don't have to wait for MLK week to have panels, you know, throughout the year to talk about things like this. You know, I'm having a 24 hour play fest in March. And what that is, is writers, directors, and actors, they come together and they put on a 10 minute play in 24 hours. And that's, that's happening in March. Um, so as long as I continue to develop and create social atmospheres Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. a, as a, um, 
excuse to get people together and play yeah. together and create and collaborate together, then we're always working towards the greater good mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. mankind, you know? That's awesome. So yes, That's I awesome. would love to do this again. Please call me at any time. Cool. Um, feel free to use Dreamhouse if you ever want to do a live podcast or gotcha. oh, really? something different. Yeah, okay. that would be cool. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you something now. I've always been interested in acting. So if you ever can think of, you know, it don't have to be like a main part, you know what I'm saying? But I don't know. I've always been interested in acting. So, wow, yeah. I'm doing a play in June called Corporate Heaven. It's a comedy snapshot Mm -hmm. of how we may be affecting heaven right now. So I made it into a comedy so that people can not only learn because it's different departments is the way that I wrote it in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I structured it like corporate, a corporate America uh, business so gotcha. that people can relate to it. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. hilarious. You have the department of prayer who the people are oh, down wow. there praying for shoes. How can we get them to pray mm-hmm. the correct mm-hmm. way? It's hilarious. Wow. But it wow. also is it's thought provoking and it teaches so that would be so perfect for me to reach out to you for a small part to make you feel, you know, know, comfortable. Yeah, yeah. That would be awesome. Yes. All right. I look forward to that then. I look forward to that. So the tradition I started on my show about a year ago is, and I don't even know why, but it's been a pretty cool thing. Uh, I always allow my guests to ask me the final question just to close the show out. And so, you know, um, I'll tell you, it's it's been some pretty cool things. I've had some pretty tough questions during my last podcast. Uh, uh, my good friend um, Roger says, uh, Kevin, I don't have a question for you, but if I had to ask you a question, the question would be, can I close your show out in prayer? Which I thought was awesome. That was the first time ever it happened. And I was like, uh, yeah, you better go ahead and pray. Right? So, Here's your opportunity to ask me anything you want, and I will do the best I can to answer your question. Okay. I'll be very transparent with you, Okay, but respectful, of course, at the same time. Um, What I do know about you and respect about you is that you have great relations. You seem to have great relations with our fine city of Myrtle Beach. Um, I've always respected your position because it's, it has to be a brave position. You know, you are not only a black man, but you automatically, no matter what, will have to speak for us on a lot of occasions. And we, we, we actually look up to that kind of power position and we support and back you with the trust that you have us in mind whenever you have to. So my question to you would be, do you think that Myrtle Beach has, do you have faith in the fact that Myrtle Beach can get better when it comes to race relations? And what I mean when I say that is I see that there are more Black people in position in Myrtle Beach, and I'm proud of that. But do they have the power to speak and make decisions and be looked at and respected 
entrusted to make decisions for unity, diversity, um, the black community um, being allowed in, the inclusion part of it all. Mm -hmm. Do you do you mm -hmm. think that Myrtle Beach will pay enough attention in the near future to get us to a place that where businesses like myself um, have an opportunity to have be on a level playing field with my white brothers and sisters? Although my business is small, but the yeah. impact is big. Do you yeah. think that Myrtle Beach will get better with race relations? Yes, I do. I do. Uh, honestly, um, that's a good question. That's a good question. And, and I'm going to be totally transparent with you. Honestly, um, prior uh, to coming, you know, my background was in law enforcement. I was a police chief. I retired in 2021. And this opportunity uh, came up and I remember asking uh, my leadership, uh, I think it was my second interview. Um, the question I asked was, are you serious about this position? Because this position did not did not exist. Are you serious about this position? Uh, and is it really just about checking a box you know, and, and saying, hey, look at what we're doing. And the answer I received was, yes, we're serious. Uh, uh, Kevin, uh, we know, and I'm quoting, Kevin, uh, we know we can do better. We've kind of done better in the past, and we know we can do better, and we want to do better, uh, and it's time. So to answer your question, Yes. Um, do things always happen as fast as we want them to? No, no. Uh, but I can honestly say um, that, that my time here, um, initiatives that we brought to the table uh, hadn't been turned away. Um, things have happened. You know, we, we, we've done things as a city like uh, make Juneteenth a city holiday. That was not you know, so in the past, we've done things like created a unity march during the Juneteenth celebration, you know. Um, and so I, I honestly, I truthfully believe that as an, an organization, um, as a city, minds and hearts are open. You know what I mean? And I think uh, we have to continue to have conversations, not just any conversations, but tough tough conversations. And the important thing uh, that I've always believed about tough conversations is when we disagree, when we get angry, when we, uh, you know, we have different perspectives, we have to understand that we, we got to lead with humanity and grace, right? We're, we're all human beings, but we, 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 we tend not to give grace like we should. Right. I may have grown up in a home that that, you know, just hypothetically speaking, that may have taught me to hate another race. Right. Those people are this. Or those people are that. Of course, I had to grow up and experience life and I have to mitigate that. Right. But at one point, was I stuck in that trap? Possibly. Right. And so uh, I'm, I'm a grown person now and I've, I've met someone from a different race who felt the same about my race. Right. And so. That is where the grace comes in at. But the grace, Patrice, doesn't start with me giving the grace to you. 
The grace starts with me giving myself grace and forgiving myself for my biases or my hangups or things I've been stuck on in the past, right? Because if I can give myself grace and I can forgive me uh, from, from my chicken box being all scrambled up, right, then I can do the same for you. And I can understand that you had a different upbringing. You have a different ancestral history. You you have a different network of friends or you watch whatever. Uh, and you have different like personal life experiences. So I think, again, humanity and grace. But to answer your question and not to uh, prolong my answer, yes, yes, and yes. Because our leadership have open minds. And, uh, and the important thing, the most important thing, I think, is that we have to stay at the table, right? When we have a seat at the table, oh man, you know, you get angry sometimes and it's easy to walk away, right? But we have to stay at the table. That's what I believe, everybody. We have to stay at the table. Um, So yeah, outstanding question, but I hope I answered it for you. But, But yes, I do believe, because if I didn't believe, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, where I am, I wouldn't be here. And that's, that's, that's the truth. That is the truth. It helped to answer a lot. your question. Oh yeah. It helped a lot when you mentioned the boxes chat, because that's mm-hmm. literally how I've been feeling about my city, right. that they're just right. checking this block, but there's no follow through. There's a big mm-hmm. speech in the beginning and we'll even throw a parade, but there's no yeah. follow through. There's no execution. Yeah. And me as mm-hmm. a businesswoman in this town, a tax paying it mm-hmm. i have a place and i have a right to say these things but at the same time mm-hmm. if it's falling on deaf ears i would rather move on you know yeah. um and not come home stressed every night and hurt yeah. it's mostly hurt that you know yeah. your city is not paying attention and they're not doing what should what was promised yeah you know yeah. Well, so to have someone like you there, yeah, your words mean a lot, and yeah. I, I, you know, all of us want to trust that. Mm-hmm. That's all we want is just yeah. to trust yeah. and somebody to keep their word. You know. Yeah. Well, I definitely encourage you to stay at the table. Stay at the table, Patrice. Stay at the table, and let's and let's keep the conversation going. That's Thank fair. You. Yes. All right. All right. Anything else? How can, how can someone, if somebody wanted to learn about Dream House Theater or some of the cool things you're doing, how could they get more information? They would go directly to Facebook, uh, the Facebook or Dream House Theater Facebook page. I made it simple so that people don't have to go trailing elsewhere mm-hmm. to find out what's going on. So if you go on to Facebook and just type in Dream House Theater, that's where you can talk to me. That's where you can see everything that's coming up, how to get involved in all the shows. Awesome. 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 Well, Patrice Reynolds, I really appreciate the conversation we've had tonight. I look forward to working with you in the future. I'm serious about the acting now. Find me a little piece of yes. roll. You know what I'm saying? I might oh, shock absolutely. you. I might shock you. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So until next time, thank you for listening to a new episode of Safe Conversations. Peace. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, 
Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.